Hi, welcome to Jumping Into Solutions, Episode 3. Today we're going to be talking about solar panels and electric battery packs. And I'm here today with Constance Butel, who has graciously agreed to have us back at her house. Hi, Constance. Hello again, Pat. <laughs> so good to see you. Yeah, version 2. Here we go. Okay. Uh, so, so I see your solar panels up here, uh -huh. and uh, they're, they're pretty impressive. Uh, can you tell us how they work? Sure. and uh, you know details about where they go in the house stuff like that okay well I have two sets of solar panels uh, the ones that you're seeing here I put in in uh, 2022 and they're micro inverters and they automatically on each panel there are eight of them convert the Sun's energy from um, DC to alternating current so it's directly into the uh, into the house the panels that I installed in 2013 are on the side of the house here and they are direct current and they go into an inverter in my garage so I now have uh, enough solar power to uh, power my new electric car as well as my heat pump and all my uh, I'm totally carbon free in this house so wow I noticed they look quite different than your new uh, panels you have up here so yeah. um, is there a substantial difference or they're pretty because these you just put on what was it did you say uh, 2022 for the eight microinverters. Okay, okay. So yeah, they're they're more powerful. They uh, each can produce more kilowatts of power than the uh, direct current ones. So 2013 to 2022, there's been some wonderful advances in in uh, solar technologies. Great. Can you tell us how it is attached to the roof? And because uh, I know we had some terrible, terrible storms this year. <laughs> Very windy. <laughs> Very yes. windy, 60 miles an hour at yes. some of the gusts. How did the panels hold up? Did you have any leaking or did anything happen with them? No, the pan it all, I can tell you that uh, in order to put new panels up, uh, my roof had been replaced about 25 years ago. So I decided before I added the new panels to add, put a new roof on, which uh, I did, and that should carry me for another 30 years or so. And the panels are very sturdy. They're put on with uh, secure clips. They're, they do not penetrate the, the roof itself, so there's no leaking. And uh, in the gusting winds, they held up just fine, no problems at all. Really, at 60 miles an hour, that's yeah, pretty and, strong. <laughs> and from where I am, you uh, unfortunately are only seeing this view, but if you're looking out this way, I'm elevated about 300 feet above the Carquinas and uh, in the full face of the wind. So so now how does the, uh, it go into your house? I know it's attached. Okay, there are uh, conduit cables that go from each series of panels. Um, I sort of like to have my roof kind of unobstructed, so I had them proceed on the outside of my house, but not on the roof, and into my garage. And we'll go into the garage and I'll show you where they feed in. Uh, the drift current have to go through an inverter, as I said, to move it from um, DC to AC, and the, um, the microinverters go right into um, the grid, into my home first, and then into the grid. So, so I'm going to ask you a real general question. How much have you saved with the uh, solar panels on your home? <laughs> well, that's a general question. <laughs> Unfortunately, since I just put in uh, the eight panels, which cost me about fifteen thousand uh -huh. dollars, and uh, so I'm not quite to the return on investment. But on my five panels on the front, put them in in 2013. I, I didn't really expect to have um, a, a 
return on investment, but I found that I did within five years. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so what is like your average uh, electric bill, bill in, the, <laughs> in, the, in the summer? My average electric bill in the summer is negative uh, something like $20. Oh, so, my God. Sign yeah. me up tomorrow. <laughs> That's well, incredible. <laughs> preparing for today, I was watching a couple of excellent uh, uh, videos, and they were talking about... Um, if you're paying $100 now, you can be expecting in about 20 years to be paying $700. Really? So the increase just in terms of producing electricity for the grid um, from a generator is going to increase dramatically. So the payback is going to be um, pretty Okay, okay. Well, let's take a look at your uh, okay. electric um, battery packs. Okay, yeah, very good. Let's you. do it. Wow, Constance, this is so amazing, these two packs of yours. Um, can you tell me about your uh, battery packs, Ian? Okay. Well, you call them battery pack, I call it battery storage. And uh, okay. um, I wanted to make sure that I was getting the best and most efficient use of the energy I was producing by solar. Mm. And so, um, Marine Clean Energy, MCE, of which I'm a proud member, um, had a wonderful deal with Tesla at the time for power walls. And I said, well, the time is right. So I had my solar panels installed in 2013. These I had to wait a year for. Uh, it was actually about 2016 when I put these in. And um, they allow me to produce energy during the day, um, feeding my house and whatnot. And at night, the energy, the, the excess energy before it goes to the grid are stored in my, my um, uh, power walls. And I'm able to do with my application on my iPad or iPhone, I can actually set how much storage I want in here. Mm -hmm. So in the summertime when I'm producing so much energy, I usually have just about a 30 or 40% backup and the rest uh, is going out to the, the grid. In mm -hmm. the wintertime, I usually like to top it off. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, for people that can't see the uh, video here, uh, the tent, these, these power walls, I guess they're, they're Tesla power wall, um, they look like they're about uh, four, maybe four feet by three feet, am I right? That's and, about uh, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're rectangles, two of them, and they have about, I don't know, four inches width. And I see where it's, um, uh, there's a, a, a conduit. Conduit, thank you. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's going into them. So uh, it, it, that's kind of incredible. Now, can you use your battery? You, as you said, you save your own, and then you use it when you want to. Right. What happens in a power outage? Oh, that's that's <laughs> the joy of the story, right? <laughs> there might there might be a little flicker <laughs> that might indicate if you're paying attention uh, that there's been a power outage, but they immediately um, come to the fore. Um. And um, most of I, I would assume that most of the battery storage actually has a way that you can do a storm watch. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so if there's wildfires or a storm in the area, they automatically top the batteries up to 100% so that you're completely ready for whatever's happening. Yeah. And we've had some long power outages in uh, Venetia, and uh, I'm very happy to say that I was oblivious to them. Really? Yeah, because I know our, our we were out for at least um, three or four days one mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. How many days do you think? 
Were, are you able to go on your batteries? Well, in the summertime, there's not a, not a problem because, right. you know, anything that you use up uh, at night, you're restored during the day. In the wintertime, uh, with them topped at 100%, I can go a couple days, mm. which should actually get me through any uh, power outage. Wow, that must yes. just give you such a, a peace, really, to know <laughs> that you don't have to worry about any kind of uh, big storm or fire, you know, because I know they're doing outages with fires. You bet. Yeah, yeah, so it is something I... I, I, I think about personally doing it myself yeah. and getting it I mean, that's, that's a wonderful thing to know and to have that comfort and confidence in, but the best thing is to know that we're using um, self-generated solar power uh, and not putting terrible, noxic, mm -hmm. noxious uh, toxins into the air. Absolutely. I know even uh, the gas prices, too, for the natural gas that people get to the home mm -hmm. has doubled and tripled in some cases already, mm -hmm. and I imagine it's just going to get worse and worse. So, so really, doing this to your home, having solar panels and the battery pack, it's a way of saving money and uh, I know saving the earth yeah saving the earth too and um, and uh, I, I know you have an electric car so have you noticed with all of these different things you have uh, and we went through the heat <laughs> pumps and the water heaters yes so does it I mean how much all of this total is your electric bills well I mean probably in a year it's always more in the winter time yeah. Uh, I'm a, a single person living at home with two Scottish Terriers, so we don't use a lot of energy to, to begin with. But I would say maybe in the wintertime I'm paying a 50 to $75 a month uh, electric bill. Wow. And that's for everything. That's wow. for water and for your car heat too. And, yeah, for the car as well. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. listen, this has been so great, Constance. <laughs> Thank you for letting You're me welcome. come here. Thank and you, everyone, for listening. Hi, everyone. I want to start out by thanking uh, Pat and Constance, and especially Constance, for showing us her home system. I'm Kathy Carriage. Our panel today is Harry Lamba, Pat Toth-Smith, and Jeremy Carlock. And Jeremy is the founder of Got Watts Electric Solar and HVAC. And I'm just going to start out by asking a real basic question. Um, Jeremy, can you explain to us how solar panels work? Sure, I can. And thank you for having me on the show today. Uh, solar works by absorbing energy from the sun. Uh, solar panels are typically placed on a homeowner's roof. And when the sun hits the panel, the, the panel has little particles inside that um, activate. And that they're a uh, simple way to explain it is electrons. Once the, the panel starts absorbing the energy, the electrons start flowing creating electricity. Uh, this electricity is converted into AC power, which is what your home uh, relies on. And that, uh, that power will flow from the solar system into the home and eventually out into the utility grid. I have one question about, I know that my solar panels, there's, uh, we have a big, uh, it's an inverter converter. We only have one for, for the system. So does that, does our power go into the home first and then the excess goes into the grid or how does that work? So what you're describing sounds like a string inverter, uh, which will be one centralized inverter. All of the solar panels on the roof will produce DC power, goes into that inverter, converts it to AC. 
that inverter is connected at some point in the home, typically the main electrical panel, which has the utility meter or a sub panel, which could be in a garage and a closet. The way that it works is it's really the path of least resistance for the electricity. So power is going to be produced off of the roof, come down through your inverter, go out into the home and any available load, a load would be a light bulb, a dishwasher, a hairdryer, the air conditioner, though they will consume the power and anything excess will then go out across your PG&E meter. So if you think about it, just path of least resistance, you'll consume it before you put it out on the grid. Thanks. Wow. Yeah. Um. Uh, so, typically, what what is the the levels of what your solar panels produce as opposed to what goes back to PG and E? So that is a complicated question, but the the way to look at that is when you're producing solar, you have a monitoring service of some kind. If you have, I don't know the year, but let's say 2014, 15, the monitoring services started to come out. And you'll have to look at the production of solar versus the consumption from PG&E. And then you can figure out, well, how much am I overproducing or underproducing? Another way to look at this would be an offset. And the offset is uh, how much solar do you have on your home or how much solar production to offset your consumption without solar? Uh, I think I answered that one pretty well. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's um, great, uh, Jeremy. Um, I mean, it's exciting to be your own solar producer, uh, you know, and um, uh, I, we just wanted to get some idea from you as to, you know, how do you um, install the solar panels and uh, what is the process that has to be gone through before installation? Um, uh, what does the person have to do, the customer, and what does the solar contractor uh, do and what is uh, how do you know that uh, there's a quality control measures to make sure that everything works well? So it's a complex question, and there are many companies that have their own process. So I'll try to use a couple different terms. Uh, the main thing is, have you been in the home long enough to establish a consistent usage history? Um, that can be really complex if you're buying a brand new home then there's a big unknown. Um, the second part is finding a contractor that can properly size the system. And what they're gonna ask for is your utility usage history um, in the pg and &E territory, which is the territory I'm familiar with. It's called green button data. That green button data is gonna give us interval data, uh, gonna give us the kilowatt hour totals um, for different time intervals, kilowatt hours, thousand watts for an hour, that is a complex thing to explain to a lot of people, but you can go find videos or, or information on it. It's basically a measurement of, of uh, the energy that you consume at a time interval of one hour. The goal of a solar PV system, photovoltaic system, is to produce enough power and convert it to AC to cover your, your usage uh, some people like to go in 80%, some people like to go 100%, some people 120, 130. Uh, so let's say you consume 10,000 kilowatt hours annually. You would wanna find a system or your contractor would, would build a system that is gonna produce 10,100 or maybe 8,000 or 12,000. 
Um, I, as a rule of thumb, recommend 120% up to 150%, especially with everybody going all electric appliances, the electric vehicle mandates coming. We've got heat pump requirements, no more gas-fired appliances coming soon. Um, your contractor has a lot of work, and what we use are uh, modeling platforms, 3D modeling platforms, most of us. And you'll you'll create a model of a customer's home or the model will be created for us. It takes into account all the shading data typically done through LIDAR, which is satellite imagery or plane imagery that's flying all over the country. Um, you put panels on the roof and you, and you basically run simulations. And some of the platforms, you can actually see the sun moving back and forth, <laughs> give the customer um, uh, visualization. And a few other complex calculations uh, right now with NEM 3.0, you've got time of use and um, the utility rates are very complex. Um, once the installer figures out how much solar you need and you agree on that amount, um, then you move on to assessing the property. Usually the installer or the contractor will send somebody to the property. They're going to verify your roof's age. You'll keep in mind solar panels. Most of them are 25-year production guarantee from the manufacturer. So the company that, that built them states that they will work at X in 25 years. And a lot of those numbers are north of 85%. So you lose about 15% in 25 years. You really don't want to move the system around. Uh, if you have a roof that has 10 years or less of lifespan, you know, may consider doing the roof and the solar at the same time. Um, from there, the installer is going to verify the framing is okay, and then they're going to dig into your electrical system. It's uh, important to note that the solar system is complex to install, but with the right group of installers, electricians, whoever you, you, your contractor that you choose, there can be uh, items that can be adjusted, say panel could be a large, larger capacity, more breaker space to allow for that future expansion. So keep in mind, if you're going to build a larger solar system to handle electric, electric appliances, you're going to also want to take into account potentially a larger electrical panel, more room. Um, and then the last little bit is the you want to make sure you have monitoring for the system and you're going to want consumption monitoring and production monitoring. You do want to request this and talk about it with your installer. It is not always possible to do it with the solar system or the components, the inverters that are used, but it is a feature that you will want. Uh, after a year of using the system, you'll circle back around, look at the overall production and make sure that you're, if you signed a contract stating uh, 12,000 kilowatt hours, you wanna make sure using the production data that that system produced 12,000 kilowatt hours. Thank you, uh, Jeremy. Um, I just had a quick question. You mentioned the consumption. The last mm -hmm. thing you said, could you re can you expand on that just a little bit and repeat the two that a person should be um, look you know have their installer uh, put in? Sure. So production monitoring is the production of the system, and we use a couple different devices to measure that depending on what inverter is being used. And that's pretty standard with all inverter manufacturers. You're going to get a portal uh, access online. Your system is typically required to be connected to Wi-Fi, or you can do a landline. You can also do cellular. 
Unfortunately, cellular though does have a lifespan. So you want to think about that maintenance wise because these systems will, will produce for 25 or more years. So you've got your production of the system and then you've got what's called consumption. And consumption is your home's consumption. So the, the idea is you're putting another meter before the pg e meter and you're going to measure how much power or how much electricity did we produce and how much did we need from PG&E and it'll figure out the math for you but what it's going to show you is I consumed 10,000 kilowatt hours I produced 9,000 kilowatt hours and I took a thousand from PG&E in a very clear cut simple um, visual display if you don't have consumption monitoring you'll see how much you produced and you'll see how much PG&E gave you. But there's a complex little self-consumption area where you're, you have an appliance that is on and you're producing solar and that appliance is consuming the solar, but you're not pulling anything from PG&E. We can figure it out, but it does take a lot of math and you, know, you can mess up on an Excel document or however you choose to do it. So consumption monitoring is not always available. Uh, certain electrical panels don't allow it. Certain inverter manufacturers, it's it's an expensive ad, and some it it it's minimal um, to add. But I would, as a consumer, recommend asking your installer for consumption monitoring. So, Jeremy, we uh, when we installed our solar, uh, we oversized the system in anticipation of. Uh, getting an electric car and also electric water heater and electric, you know, furnace. So for many years, we got a lot of money back from PG&E every year. Now that we put all those things in though, I'm uh, paying more to PG&E. So it, is it difficult? And I'd like to not pay PG&E anything actually. So um, is it difficult to add uh, additional panels at this point? Our system's probably six years old or seven years old? So the first part is figuring out how much do I need in excess? You know, you don't want to, you don't want to waste money building a system that is 300% of your offset, which pg won't allow you to do that. Um, and it becomes a very complex uh, calculation, use Energy Star ratings or use uh, other customers' homes. Um, adding to a system is a bit complex. And one of the things that's not so fun is PG&E's new net energy metering 3.0, as, as we know it, NEM 3.0. And they changed the way that the parameters around how you add to a system. And if you were installed prior to April 14th of 2023, you would be NEM 2.0. And I don't have the date, but there was also a previous NEM uh, rate plan. And I think it was maybe five, six years prior. The difference between NEM2 and NEM3 is pretty substantial. When you add to a system, you'll be transitioned to NEM3. Um, oh, NEM so if I add to my system, then I'm going to lose a lot of the net metering benefits. Yes, and I don't have all of the information in front of me. This is all new to all of us. Um, but I, off of memory, I think it's 1,000 watts or 10%. It's something close to that that you're allowed to add um, without triggering NEM 3.0. The okay. big difference between two and three is you used to be on a one-year true up. 
um, and now they've taken that away. It's going to be on a, uh, if you don't use it, you're not going to lose it, but you're getting pennies for it versus what they're charging you. And it's a, it's a long conversation. NEM 2.0 versus 3.0, unfortunately, will change the way that your system works. Um, so adding now could actually cost you more than what you're paying in monthly charges. So I know that uh, Constance had a home battery system, and that's probably, I'm guessing, when we're using the powers, uh, you know, in the early evening. Um, so maybe that's an op uh, that would be a better option for me. So could you explain how a home battery system works and how that can be used by the homeowner? So perfect question. So uh, explaining that changing, uh, adding solar to the home could potentially change a rate plan and make things less cost-effective. Uh, adding a battery to the home can help offset that. And the way to think about it is if you say you work a nine to five job, you get home at six o'clock. Well, what's going on with all that power that my system or that electricity in my system is producing, say 9 a.m. to 2, 3, 4 p.m.? Well, you're giving it back to PG&E. Well, if you had a battery system on the home, you would store it. And the, some consumers will discharge it in the peak timeframes. Um, and that could be four to eight, five to nine, somewhere in that evening. So the goal would be instead of giving PG&E all this power, I put it into a battery. I have a battery program or protocol, which most of the battery manufacturers would make it really easy with it. With your phone or your installer can do it for you. And the battery will set up to start discharging, say, 5 or 6, 7 p.m., whenever is needed. So you start running the air conditioner. Now you've got your battery providing power to that air conditioner. You've got your solar panels providing power to the electrician or power to that air conditioner. And then you've got whatever, whatever those can't provide, then PG&E is going to provide. Remember, it's path of least resistance. Just think solar and battery are going to be the least resistant and PG&E is going to be the most. So those will provide. And the battery can also have some settings or protocols. So it doesn't just charge all of it at once. Maybe it layers uh, 2,000 watts out for five hours. There's another use case for batteries, which is newer uh, in, in market awareness. And that is where a battery won't provide battery backup. It'll just provide rate arbitrage or peak shaving. And to think when we mentioned batteries before, I only talked about peak shaving and rate arbitrage, but batteries historically have been for backup power also. And if you're in an area where you have uh, public safety power shutoffs from PG&E, or you have telephone poles that get blown over, you would get a battery and you not only could benefit the, from peak shaving or rate arbitrage, you would also be able to provide backup power, keep your family safe, keep the lights on, keep the refrigerator on. You may not be able to cool the home or, or other large electric appliances, but you keep it uh, nice and comfortable. The There is a battery manufacturer and a few more coming online where you can add a battery for much less out-of-pocket upfront and receive the rate arbitrage peak shaving benefits, which are pretty substantial in NEM 3.0. So let me, so you can get a battery that's going to provide both, you know, keeping your rates low and also doing backup if, if the power goes out. Yes. And, and depending on what manufacturer and how your system's configured, 
your installer or contractor would be able to help you with that. And if you add a battery to a, an in, a net energy metering 2.0 system, so a system installed prior to April 14th, it does not change your rate plan. Okay, great. So you could build a little bit of storage and discharge during those, those higher utility rates. I just had a quick question, Jeremy. Um, if you don't get your battery when you have your, uh, you know, panels installed, is it expensive to add it later? It, expensive is a term that some people identify as at different numbers. You know, is 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 a thousand dollars expensive or ten thousand dollars expensive? The the answer is yes. It, it is costly to install a battery, but it was also costly to install solar. The battery is eligible for a 30% tax credit, which is wonderful. That tax credit uh, goes on till 2032. So you have a lot of time to get that 30%. Also, there's some lenders out there, solar lenders, that will cover the 30%. So let's say the battery was $10,000. Well, you can get a solar loan for $7,000, but they'll pay $10,000 for the battery. And then next year, typically it's the middle of the year around June, they'll expect you to pay that 3000 after you've got your tax credit. So really unique financing options. Um, yeah. Well, thank you, that's great. <laughs> um, yeah, Jeremy, I had a quick question regarding the tax credit. Uh, is there a difference between uh, if there's a battery system that's only for battery, uh, only for backup versus one that is connected to the solar system? Uh, is there a difference in the tax credit one gets in those two situations? No, so it's a 30% tax credit from the uh, IRS and that tax credit's eligible on the solar panels and the battery, whether you do backup or peak shaving, radar arbitrage, just as long as the battery is connected to the grid and I'm not really, I, I don't like to quote stuff from the IRS, but I do think there are requirements around solar, but I, I, I shy away from that. I would recommend talk, talking to a tax professional. We have not had a client that did not qualify for the tax credit and with them getting a battery only. It's, um, it's not, uh, not complicated. And in order to qualify for the tax credit, you do need to purchase the system. So a lease or a PPA would not be eligible. Mm. That's good to know. Yeah, so um, Jeremy, uh, talking about the financial benefits, um, when I got my solar system on the last house, um, I uh, was, um, uh, uh, I got the next year, I got the federal tax credit uh, of 30%. And then the system was about 100% size. So I got Basically, my uh, annual production uh, worth uh, benefit uh, off of my electric bill. My electric bill looked different, and uh, I did end up with some surplus where I was exporting uh, electricity out to PG&E to the grid, and I uh, did get a check come annually from MCE of the surplus. Um, is that the typical credit that one can get, uh, financial credits, uh, benefits that one can get from a solar system? So the older systems that were, uh, and I don't really have the dates, 
there were clients that got a check. Uh, NEM one was was one of those. NEM two, the checks were minimal. Um, if you think you're paying, say, 38 cents a kilowatt hour for power now during whatever time frame, um, PG&E on NEM2 was giving you a value of, of approximately that, depending on when you're producing it. Well, now with NEM 3.0, instead of if you if you pay 38 cents and PG is going to give you almost 38 cents, you're now getting on an average, it's 8 cents a kilowatt hour, but you're also getting a value off of the time that it was produced. And there's a different rate throughout the day. So there's some days and hours where you're getting two cents a kilowatt hour or um, a half of a cent a kilowatt hour. So there, there's not any benefit to overproducing to create additional revenue through money back from MCE or PGE or whoever the utility is. And it, it they don't want they, they would it would be more ideal for utility to sell it to the neighbor and try to try to generate as much positive revenue as possible or however you want to think about it but no more big checks coming back for NEM 3.0 customers <laughs> Jeremy I had a quick one um to as somebody who would be new to, to uh, solar um how do the rebates and things work do you put install all the panels and then uh, turn in the information for rebates, or um, or is there things you have to do in advance of putting in the solar panels to get all these financial benefits? So there's one major benefit, and that's the solar investment tax credit. It's thirty percent. Basically, the way that we summarize it, the system needs to be in its final state the year that it's being installed for residential customers, and. Prior to that, your installer, there's no paperwork with the IRS that the installer has to do. It's something that's done on your tax return. Just let your tax professional know. Uh, there are a lot of things that we must do. We must have a proper permit in place. We must have uh, net NEM application with a utility net energy metering application. And one of the milestones is an inspection, a building inspection from a building department. And what that's going to tell the IRS, which that's one of their requirements or um, is that all of those milestones have been met. So the NEM app has been done. The system has been installed properly. The contractor is licensed. You know, in order to do an inspection, you need to be licensed in order to pull a permit. And once all of that's done, you just fill out a simple doc document with, with uh, IRS and submit it with your return. And then the, the formula or the calculation on, well, will I receive it back? It's not, it's not that they just cut you a check for the solar tax credit. You do want to talk to a tax professional. If you don't have the liability, things can move around a little bit. Everybody's tax situation is different. Now, do, do they, I mean, do all the solar providers know what they need to give you? Or is this something that people should um, try to make sure that they get the information you just said on their own? Um, so they'll need a final invoice uh, of the system, basically a receipt. Mm -hmm. of the system showing what they installed um, and if they ever have to provide that for the IRS. It's just like making a big purchase on a home. Think about it the same way. You want to keep your receipts. You go and do your your taxes, your, your long forms. And well, you, you're not giving them to them right away, but when they ask for it, you're going to want it. And you're going to want to have the system specifications, the system size, what you paid for it, the gross cost of the system. And uh, be careful if there's 
items put on that invoice that are not eligible for the solar tax credit. Yeah. Um, this is a tax professional conversation, but the solar investment tax credit is for solar. Um, be very cautious if there's a roof on there that is not 100% required for solar or um, a heat pump or can lighting, recess lighting. There's a lot of unique things that can get included on a on a solar invoice that you want to be very mindful um, if they're not eligible for the tax credit. And I would go to the IRS directly and read off of their website what is eligible and what is not. Thank you. Jeremy, um, what would you say the average uh, under the new um, system uh, that PG&E, which is you know the electrical carrier for the Bay Area, uh, our electrical company, uh, what is the average payback uh, before you're you're starting to you know you you've recouped your costs for solar? How many years is it under their new metering? Is there a general idea or? Sure, it's a complex question because we're just now getting into a rhythm of quoting it. It's such a complex rate schedule that a lot of the proposal softwares out there in the solar contracting industry that we that we solar installers rely on, a, a fair amount of them could not calculate uh, utilizing the the multiple rate plans throughout the day, the hour. Um, right now, we were running some scenarios and a customer with a battery with properly sized solar nine to 12 year return on investment. Mm -hmm. But a, a thing to remember here now with NEM3 is you, you're likely still going to have some of a bill that's going to be greater than what you had before. Uh, we're seeing bills anywhere from 30 to $80 a month. And it really depends on your solar production and when you're going to use it. Because if you export it to PG&E, it goes from say 38 cents in value down to maybe two cents, three cents, four cents. And it just really does not make sense for you to pull that back from PG&E later at you know, eight times less in value or however, 80% less in value or however you wanna calculate it. It's, it's not very advantageous. And anytime you added a battery to a system in NEM 2.0, so previous to April 14th, the return on investment went out considerably. And the factors for adding a battery back in NEM 2.0 territory or, or timeline was backup. Rate arbitrage was something that people used, but the major, major deciding factor was, well, I want grid stability. Now with NEM 3, it's, I want on-site storage to store my own power because pg e is not giving me a rate that is of considerable value and they change the rates on you so much it's very difficult to keep track of there are some charts um there's a few hundred different rates throughout the year depending wow. on the time of day and the month so for new installers uh they probably people are putting it in now uh, if they're not going to be able to take advantage of the old rate structure then they really should be thinking about a home battery system if they want to maximize their savings uh, but it sounds like even with that, if if the payback can be nine to twelve years, you're you're still looking at probably, essentially, the way I always thought about it is, you know, you're you're still probably going to have up to thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years where 
basically you're not paying much for electricity uh, if you size it right. So something to think about is is the the rate increases that we've experienced. And if you look at your gas bill, it's gone up over 90% since 2021. Your electric bill has gone up greater than 30% since 2021. There are new um, proposed rate hikes. Uh, and I don't want to get into the weeds on those, but there are some things coming. There's also an income-based way of charging pg e is considering. Um, where higher income would pay actually a higher fee. I think the people get a lot concerned about getting a solar system. And my last solar system that I got on my previous house, I had more than 12 months of consumption. Uh, I just sent him a contractor, a copy of my latest uh, PDF copy of my uh, bill, uh, latest electric bill. Uh, he came size the system 110% or so send me the the um, uh, proposal, I agreed to it. He did everything, he did permitting, installation, um, testing, and then getting the inspector in. And um, uh, he then set me up uh, uh, with, there's a transmitter on the inverter and a receiver inside the house that I hooked up to my Wi-Fi system. And I, from Solar Edge, I got uh, the, um, a system on my uh, thing uh, on my iPhone, and I could be monitoring the um, electricity, you know, twenty four seven. If it was sun was shining and uh, I was um, and the solar system was producing, I could see that the solar system was actually producing two kilowatts or three kilowatts, depending on where the sun was and so forth, and. Um, it seemed to work out pretty uh, simply, and I, I, I just I know there are some complex parts to it, but uh, shouldn't this uh, my example, my experience was pretty simple and straightforward because the contractor kind of uh, took care of uh, everything after I gave him a copy of the bill and agreed to for him to do it. Isn't that yeah, our, our when we installed it was pretty easy too. You know, they did all of it. And I, and I have to say, uh, particularly this last winter, I have really appreciated not having, basically having no gas bill, you know, because you hear about people are paying hundreds of dollars a month. And mine is, we, I still unfortunately have a gas stove, but it's minuscule. So the, the formula for doing solar calculations now with NEM 3.0 is, significantly more complex than NEM 2.0. We used to be able to use a couple utility bills and some modeling software to project what their what a customer's bill would be over 12 month cycle because we had we could you could put power on the grid and take it back from PGE at an even exchange. Now it's not it's not worth it. So you've got to look at the customer's interval data, which is how much power do they use or how much electricity every hour of the day and we usually we use software to do this because it's it's complex and then we got to look at how much solar production are we going to get during those hours and the goal is to create a system that puts the least amount out to pg e as possible or the way to think about it is a system that is not connected to pg e for hypothetical reasons and that system can self-support whoever is living in the in the home so you've got to think 
well, high usage during times when we're all home or things, uh, the, the house is active or the air conditioner's on, running a dryer, if, they, if they're electric appliances, not the most ideal situation. Maybe having a washer and dryer that have remote capabilities and you run those during the morning if you're the type that uh, is not home, say you're out working. The, uh, the other side of this is people's living um, situations change. And some people go from working in the office to working at home all the time or vice versa. And that can disrupt or change this, this uh, payback period or return on investment on solar significantly. So yeah. it, it, it got a lot more complex. Well, I know another thing is that uh, I'm starting to read about, uh, we've, you know, we've always charged our electric car, sort of plug it in at night and we're both retired now. And now I try to charge our electric car during the day uh, so that it's not, not drawing on, on the grid. Um, and I think that's a shift that, uh, you know, people are going to have to make too, to just to, to charge their cars during the day. Absolutely. Well, well, thank you, Jeremy. This has been really great. <laughs> I appreciate you okay. coming on and telling us all this good stuff. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And uh, I want to uh, remind everybody that uh, Jumping Into Solutions has a YouTube channel and we have other episodes now that have covered uh, heat pump water heaters and um, heat pump uh, air heaters. Composting. Uh, and we also have a website and uh, you can uh, see past episodes on both the YouTube channel and the website. And we have additional resources also on both of those, uh, uh, both of those places. Thank so, you very much, Jeremy. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate this time. Thank you for the opportunity. Bye-bye. Thank you.